Chapter twenty eight of El Dorado by Baroness Orsi. Read for LibriVox.org by Karen Savage in September two thousand and seven. Chapter twenty eight. The Caged Lion. Was there some instinct of humanity left in the soldier who allowed Marguerite through the barrier into the prisoner's cell? Had the wan face of this beautiful woman stirred within his heart the last chord of gentleness that was not wholly atrophied by the constant cruelties, the excesses, the mercilessness which his service under this fraternizing republic constantly demanded of him? Perhaps some recollection of former years, when first he served his king and country, recollection of wife or sister or mother, pleaded within him in favour of this sorely stricken woman with the look of unspeakable sorrow in her large blue eyes. Certain it is, that as soon as Marguerite passed the barrier, he put himself on guard against it, with his back to the interior of the cell, and to her. Marguerite had paused on the threshold. After the glaring light of the guard-room, the cell seemed dark, and at first she could hardly see. The whole length of the long, narrow cubicle lay to her left, with a slight recess at its further end, so that from the threshold of the doorway she could not see into the distant corner. Swift as a lightning-flash, the remembrance came back to her of proud Marie Antoinette, narrowing her life to that dark corner where the insolent eyes of the rabble soldiery could not spy her every movement. Marguerite stepped further into the room. Gradually, by the dim light of an oil-lamp placed upon a table in the recess, she began to distinguish various objects—one or two chairs, another table, and a small but very comfortable-looking camp-bedstead. Just for a few seconds she saw only these inanimate things. Then she became conscious of Percy's presence. He sat on a chair, with his left arm half-stretched out upon the table, his head hidden in the bend of the elbow. Marguerite did not utter a cry. She did not even tremble. Just for one brief instant she closed her eyes, so as to gather up all her courage before she dared to look again. Then, with a steady and noiseless step, she came quite close to him. She knelt on the flagstones at his feet, and raised reverently to her lips the hand that hung nerveless and limp by his side. He gave a start. A shiver seemed to go right through him. He half raised his head, and murmured in a hoarse whisper, "'I tell you that I do not know, and if I did—' She put her arms round him, and pillowed her head upon his breast. He turned his head slowly toward her, and now his eyes, hollowed and rimmed with purple, looked straight into hers. "'My beloved,' he said, "'I knew that you would come.' His arms closed round her. There was nothing of lifelessness or of weariness in the passion of that embrace. And when she looked up again, it seemed to her as if that first vision which she had had of him, with weary head bent and one haggard face, was not reality, only a dream born of her own anxiety for him. For now the hot, ardent blood coursed just as swiftly as ever through his veins, as if life, strong, tenacious, pulsating life, throbbed with unabating vigour in those massive limbs, and behind that square, clear brow, as though the body, but half-subdued, had transferred its vanishing strength to the kind and noble heart that was beating with the fervour of self-sacrifice. "'Percy,' she said gently, "'they will only give us a few moments together.' They thought that my tears would break your spirit where their devilry had failed. He held her glance with his own, with that close, intent look which binds soul to soul, and in his deep blue eyes there danced the restless flames of his own undying mirth. La, little woman, he said with enforced lightness, even whilst his voice quivered with the intensity of passion engendered by her presence, her nearness, the perfume of her hair. How little they know you, eh? 
your brave, beautiful, exquisite soul, shining now through your glorious eyes, would defy the machinations of Satan himself and his horde. Close your dear eyes, my love. I shall go mad with joy if I drink their beauty in any longer." He held her face between his two hands, and, indeed, it seemed as if he could not satiate his soul with looking into her eyes. In the midst of so much sorrow, such misery, and such deadly fear, never had Marguerite felt quite so happy, never had she felt him so completely her own. The inevitable bodily weakness, which of necessity had invaded even his splendid physique after a whole week's privations, had made a severe breach in the invincible barrier of self-control with which the soul of the inner man was kept perpetually hidden behind a mask of indifference and of irresponsibility. And yet, the agony of seeing the lines of sorrow so plainly writ on the beautiful face of the woman he worshipped must have been the keenest that the bold adventurer had ever experienced in the whole course of his reckless life. It was he, and he alone, who was making her suffer. Her for whose sake he would gladly have shed every drop of his blood, endured every torment, every misery and every humiliation. Her whom he worshipped only one degree less than he worshipped his honour, and the cause which he had made his own. Yet in spite of that agony, in spite of the heart-rending pathos of her pale, wan face, and through the anguish of seeing her tears, the ruling passion, strong in death, the spirit of adventure, the mad, wild, devil-may-care irresponsibility, was never wholly absent. "'Dear heart,' he said, with a quaint sigh, whilst he buried his face in the soft masses of her hair, "'until you came I was so demmed fatigued.' He was laughing, and the old look of boyish love of mischief illumined his haggard face. "'Is it not lucky, dear heart,' he said a moment or two later, "'that those brutes do not leave me unshaved? I could not have faced you with a week's growth of beard round my chin. By dint of promises and bribery I have persuaded one of that rabble to come and shave me every morning. They will not allow me to handle a razor myself. They are afraid I should cut my throat, or one of theirs. But mostly I am too demmed sleepy to think of such a thing.' "'Percy!' she exclaimed, with tender and passionate reproach. "'I know, I know, dear.' he murmured, what a brute I am! Ah, God did a cruel thing the day he threw me in your path! To think that once, not so very long ago, we were drifting apart, you and I! You would have suffered less, dear heart, if we had continued to drift." Then, as he saw that his bantering tone pained her, he covered her hands with kisses, entreating her forgiveness. "'Dear heart,' he said merrily, "'I deserve that you should leave me to rot in this abominable cage. They haven't got me yet, little woman, you know. I am not yet dead only damned sleepy at times. But I'll cheat them even now, never fear." "'How, Percy? How?' she moaned, for her heart was aching with intolerable pain. She knew better than he did the precautions which were being taken against his escape, and she saw more clearly than he realized it himself the terrible barrier set up against that escape by ever-encroaching physical weakness. "'Well, dear,' he said simply, "'to tell you the truth I have not yet thought of that all-important how. I had to wait, you see, until you came. I was so sure that you would come. I have succeeded in putting on paper all my instructions for folks and the others. I will give them to you anon. I knew that you would come, and that I could give them to you. Until then I had but to think of one thing, and that was of keeping body and soul together. My chance of seeing you was to let them have their will with me. Those brutes were sure, sooner or later, to bring you to me, that you might see the caged fox rawn down to imbecility, eh? that you might add your tears to their persuasion, and succeed where they have failed." He laughed lightly, with an unstrained note of gaiety. Only Marguerite's sensitive ears caught the faint tone of bitterness which rang through the laugh. "'Once I know that the little King of France is safe,' he said, 
I can think of how best to rob these demmed murderers of my skin. Then suddenly his manner changed. He still held her with one arm closely to him, but the other now lay across the table, and the slender emaciated hand was tightly clutched. He did not look at her, but straight ahead. The eyes, unnaturally large now, with their deep purple rims, looked far ahead beyond the stone walls of this grim, cruel prison. The passionate lover, hungering for his beloved, had vanished. There sat the man with a purpose, the man whose firm hand had snatched men and women and children from death, the reckless enthusiast who tossed his life against an ideal. For a while he sat thus, while in his drawn, haggard face she could trace every line formed by his thoughts—the frown of anxiety, the resolute setting of the lips, the obstinate look of will around the firm jaw. Then he turned again to her. "'My beautiful one,' he said softly, "'the moments are very precious. God knows I could spend eternity thus with your dear form nestling against my heart. But those demmed murderers will only give us half an hour.' and I want your help, my beloved, now that I am a helpless cur caught in their trap. Will you listen attentively, dear heart, to what I am going to say?" "'Yes, Percy, I will listen,' she replied. "'And have you the courage to do just what I tell you, dear?' "'I would not have the courage to do aught else,' she said simply. "'It means going from hence to-day, dear heart, and perhaps not meeting again.' "'Hush, my beloved,' he said tenderly, placing his thin hand over her mouth, from which a sharp cry of pain had well-nigh escaped. Your exquisite soul will be with me always. Try—try try not to give way to despair. Why, your love alone, which I see shining from your dear eyes, is enough to make a man cling to life with all his might. Tell me, will you do as I ask you?" And she replied firmly and courageously, "'I will do just what you ask, Percy. God bless you for your courage, dear. You will have need of it.'" End of chapter 28